He is risen. Come on, we can do better than that. He is risen. Amen. Well, good morning. What you don't know that I just discovered is with these lights here, I cannot see a single one of you. <laughs> I am talking to total blackness. So, oh, you may be seated. I didn't even know you were standing. <laughs> I'm not kidding. As a redhead, I've always avoided purple. <laughs> Not going to do it today. You know, it is Resurrection Sunday. And it is the event that changed the world. It's the event that God foreordained before the foundation of the world. It's the event that, we, that is crucial to humanity. But so many people do not understand it. They don't understand the resurrection, and partially because they don't understand the cross. They don't understand why Jesus, the creator, Emmanuel, God with us, came to die. And there's a couple reasons for that. One of them is he wanted to. He wanted to. The other is he had to. But I'm going to read for you this morning the events of the crucifixion because we're talking about it is finished. And those were words uttered from our Lord on the cross. And I'm going to take a, a compilation of uh, the Gospels of Luke, Mark, and John and kind of run the events in an abbreviated uh, sequence here. So here's the story. When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. When the sixth hour came, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished, to fulfill the scripture, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it to his mouth. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the centurion who was standing right in front of him saw the way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love. Thank you for letting us, by virtue of what you have done, get to know you. Father, thank you that you haven't left us here as orphans, but instead you have 
redeemed us with your precious blood. And I pray, Father, that this morning we would understand that and we would really truly understand the victory which is ours in the resurrection of your son, Jesus. Lord, I pray now that you give me the words to speak and we'll trust you for the outcome of that in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, in Second uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says this, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. You know, when I said that he wanted to, I meant that. His word says that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God wanted to redeem mankind. He wanted to share his life with his creation for all of eternity the way he intended at the beginning. And we cannot understand the resurrection if we don't understand the crucifixion, if we don't understand the reason for the death. But you won't understand the reason for the death if you don't understand how God designed man to be in the first place. Way back at the beginning of God's word, we read about his design for a relationship with mankind who in walking in that relationship would give a, an accurate depiction of him. They would bear his image. They would walk with God. God being a spirit, he created man as a spirit. And they, they cohabitated together in the same tent, which we call our body. Man was unique in that he was unlike any other person on the planet right from the beginning because each man has his own soul, an individuality, a personality. But it's the spirit of the man that was to reflect, was to guide, was, it was the GPS system, so to speak, of the man, with the spirit of the man instructing the man's soul as to how to live in harmony with God. And this was done by virtue of the, the presence of the creator God, the spirit of God dwelling within the spirit of the man, with the spirit of the man, giving the spirit of the man the instructions as to how to live the abundant life. But love is something, though that's what God intended for man to be as a lover, a lover of each other and a lover of God. Love is a choice. And so God gave that man and that woman in the garden the choice to love him back. He declared his love for them and he gave them the option to love him back. And to do that, he said, all of this is good. Of all the trees of the garden, you can freely eat. The world was wonderful, the garden beautiful, the relationship fantastic. But he didn't create man to be a robot. He created man to be an individual with the capacity to love him back. And so he gave him the capacity to choose. In that garden, he put one tree the tree said, don't eat from that tree because in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. That tree represented the knowledge of good and evil. And he gave man the choice to believe him to be the author of good and evil, him to be good 
as God alone is good, or to decide for himself that he wanted to be God and decide what was good and evil, and thus end the relationship he had with God. And when he breathed into the man the spirit of God, he breathed into the man the breath of life. But on the day that Adam chose, when Adam and his wife chose to eat of the tree, declaring that they wanted to separate themselves from God and thus be their own God, discerning for themselves what was good and what was evil, God honored that choice and he withdrew his spirit from their spirit and had to. Because what fellowship does light have with darkness? They cannot coexist. They had become sinful. They had declared their independence. They had said, God, I want to end this relationship with you. And that's what that, that's what that eating of the tree declared, is that they wanted to be an independent, and God honored that choice. And he withdrew his spirit, leaving them dead dead in their trespasses and sins. Just as he said, in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. They didn't drop over dead physically. Soulishly, they were still active. Spiritually, they were now estranged from God by their doing, not God's. So man began to reproduce in that fashion. Physically alive, soulishly active, spiritually dead. And the scripture makes sure we all understand that we've all been born into sin. There is none righteous, no, not one, and we all are in need of a Savior. But man, it made, God made it clear to man that he could not save himself. There was no, the, he had to declare to the man that he had a problem, and then he had to declare to the man that, that he couldn't do what was necessary to restore that relationship. He couldn't comprehend who God was at all, let alone love him, because God is love, and love is of God, and they didn't have love. So what God did was show us what love was. What greater love is there than this, than a man laid down his life for his friends? It says that at the right time, in Romans 5, 6, for while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And what that meant was, when he went to the cross, he who knew no sin became our sin for us. He walked in sinless perfection for those 33 years he walked on this planet, showing mankind what he created in the first place, showing them what a real man looked like. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God who, dwell with, who dwelt within him, who was his guide, who was his power, who was his source and resource, everything he said he did he did by inspiration of the Father. He was living as he designed man to be. He was alive with the life of his Father. We celebrated that just a short time ago at Christmas when the Virgin Mary conceived of the Holy Spirit and gave birth to Emmanuel, God with us. And now it was time for him to declare his love for us, but it was also time for him to do what he had to do to redeem us because he's a just God. And he could not waver on his justice. Someone had to die for the sin that had been committed in the world. 
So he came himself as a man to do what man could not do for himself. He became your sin and he became mine. He knew us then. He's the, he's the, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. The book of Revelation is written in past tense because he's known it all and he's done it all. And now he's asking you to do your part. He said, do you know me? Will, do you want this relationship? And that's what he did at the cross is he said, this is how badly I want it. I will become your sin. That's why, that's why he cried out from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because at that moment when he became our sin, he died the way Adam died in the garden. He was spiritually separated from his father for those three hours depicted by the sky going black because the light of the world had gone out. And he hung there, a God-forsaken man, for three hours. But in the end, he declared, it is finished. Literally paid in full. Your debt and mine erased, buried with him. But as good news as that is, that wasn't what was going to save us. That wasn't what was going to restore us. We find in Romans chapter 5, or excuse me, Romans chapter 10, verses 5 through 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Resurrection Sunday. You know, we, uh, we have a tendency to stop thinking when thinking becomes difficult. And uh, when challenging questions are before you, um, you kind of want to avoid it oftentimes and change your thoughts to something else. We do that pretty easily. We just turn on TV, watch sports, watch news, get involved with our kids, think about business, get involved on the internet, maybe start thinking about lunch about this time. And, uh, and, we, and we try and drive these tough, tough questions out of our minds. Or else we need to answer them. And so here's the deal. You know, when you're dealing with difficult moral questions, they keep coming back. And they keep coming back again and again. And you put them out of your mind and they come back again. And you put them out of your mind and they come back again. And this can go on for years and years. But with no answers, you kind of get stuck in a certain area of your life. And if you can break through on these tough questions, all of a sudden your life can change and you can grow. And so I want you to think with me today. God gave us that ability to think. And, and I challenge you to think with me today about the question of death. About the question really then, which goes right into the question of pain and the question of evil. Because you see, the answer is found at Easter. The answer is found in what we're celebrating today. The answer is found in life, true life, and it comes 
from Jesus Christ raising from the dead. You see, I, I, I want you to think about this. And this story is dear to me uh, when I start talking about death and thinking about death and life because um, last summer I was diagnosed with esophageal cancer. And so I spent the summer doing radiation and chemo and then uh, had a surgery. And the nice thing was it was one of the top four most difficult surgeries uh, from Mayo as well as one of the top four to recover. So at least it was in the top five. I was excited about that. And uh, had a surgery and they, they cut me open in the front and, and took out part of my stomach and then in the back and pulled my, took out my esophagus and pulled my stomach up. So my stomach is a tube. And, uh, and basically they were hoping that that would cure this cancer, that they could catch it. And so when Marsha and I went back six weeks later, what we found is that the cancer had spread and it had spread into my liver. And uh, of course, when that happens, there's really not much they can do for you surgically. Uh, medically, you can do chemo, but really uh, there's not a lot they can do for you. So they kind of just encourage you and say that realistically, you probably have months to live. And, and, uh, and so that's kind of the word that we had last year. And that's still basically the truth today. Uh, the amazing thing, though, for me, is that from the time they told me I had cancer until this moment today, I have not once been stressed about cancer. And I have not once been stressed about death. And it's just amazing, but it's because I know Jesus Christ is my Savior. And it's amazing because I know the best day of my life is going to be the day that I die. The very best day of my life is going to be the day that I die. And see, I don't have a death wish. I love my wife. I love our kids and our grandkids and, and our parents. I love our church family. You guys are amazing. Uh, I love my job. I'm just a blessed man. So I don't have this idea of I want out of here. I, I really am blessed here. But I just know the truth from my authority, the word of God, that says that the best days are ahead. The best days are ahead because of Jesus Christ. And, and, and the authority that says that to me is God's word. Now, you all die. You will all die. If you don't believe it, you don't believe the Bible that it says you're all going to die and face judgment, we're all going to be appointed to die once. If you don't believe that, then you can look up Google as your authority, and, and you'll find that you're all going to die, okay? And as a matter of fact, there's about two deaths every second. There's about uh, 120 a minute, about 7,200 an hour, about 175,000 people die every day. And you see, Google can give us the stats, just not the answer. And since we're all going to die physically, every single one of you, I tell you what, you're crazy not to be living for something that's worth dying for. You see, every one of you is living for something. You're living for someone. You're investing in something. Is it a good internal investment? You see, the story of Easter is not about death. The story of Easter is about life, true life. And a couple thousand years ago, when Jesus was walking on the earth, one of his friends was Martha, and her brother, Lazarus, had died. And so Jesus came to Martha, and they were friends, and, and Jesus uh, met with her, and, and she asked him the tough questions. And she asked him about death and what happens after death. And Jesus said in the book of John, chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. 
Whoever believes in me shall live even if they die. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? That's what he asked Martha. And that's what I ask you today. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Don't, please don't stop thinking, okay? Do you believe this? It's not a question for the guy across the gym or, or the person that you hope really gets it. Maybe he's sitting right next to you. You know, it's not a question, uh, one of those what about questions. What about the tribes in India that we throw out there? Or what about trying to have all the answers of everything that, that God is when he contains everything and will never understand all God is? It's not about that. It's not about trying to push the answer to the question away. I challenge you to answer that question between you and God now. Now. It's between you and your creator. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Have you trusted him as your savior? You see, as Pat shared, there's this spiritual aspect to life and, and, and a physical aspect. And we get the physical aspect. That's what we deal with so often. But we get so caught up in the physical that we kind of lose sight of the spiritual. And we lose sight that the fact that God is spirit and to have a relationship with God, we must understand that it's a relationship that's spiritual. And as we surrender to him, we get to know him and we get to know that we have this eternal life, his life, and it's a spiritual life. But until you cross that bridge that was provided at the cross, the pathway for us to get to God, you can't understand spiritual things. And you see, apart from God, we're all dead spiritually. And I got to tell you, if that offends you, then you're probably dead spiritually. Because there's this physical aspect of life and there's a spiritual aspect of life. But what I want to tell you is God desires that you have the physical and the spiritual. That's his desire for every single one of you. And you know what happens then? Whoever believes in him, even though he dies, shall live. And everyone who lives shall never die. And you see, I'm not stressed at all about this because I know that I have life through Jesus Christ. And I have almighty life. I have Almighty God's life. You see, we're all looking to get life. Every single one of you in here is sitting to get life. And we're trying to get security from the things of this world. We're trying to be significant and do something that matters with our lives. We're trying to somehow be accepted by those around us. We're really looking for love. Every single one of us is in some form or another. And I read a story, uh, E. Stanley Jones, about bees. And I, and I just want you to picture sitting in your room with the door closed. And you have one window there, and it's a casement window. And you open your window, and you're sitting there, and a bee flies through the window. And you know how that goes, right? And the bee flies through the window, and, and the bee immediately, what? Bounces off the wall, bzzz, into the wall, and then into the ceiling, right? And then into the window. Beats its body in the window. And then if you turn a light on, it runs into the light. And you turn a desk lamp on, it runs right into the desk lamp. I mean, as fast as they can fly, they just smoke into all these things, right? Over and over and over. And I feel like that's often how we really live our lives, okay? We're trying to get security. And so we're running ahead, trying to get it from the world. We think if we can just have a little more money, we'll be okay. And then we get a little more money, and we find out we still have that empty feeling in our gut because we don't feel secure. We don't feel secure, even though we live in America, a secure country, because we watch ISIS on the news, and we're somehow afraid of that. 
You see, we're looking for something significant, so we try and get it through our careers or through our jobs or through our families or how we look, and all of a sudden we try and pursue these things and, and we realize it's not that significant. We try and get acceptance. We want everyone to love us. We want to look good. We want to feel good. We want all these friends, and we can have all that, and still there's this emptiness inside of us. We want to be loved, and we try everything we can in this world to find love, and it doesn't quite satisfy you see, you need to get a life. And I tell you that because that's my story. Uh, you know, when we were growing up, we used to say that to each other, get a life, when someone would say something that, you know, uh, they, you didn't agree with because, of course, we thought we had it all together. Remember back then when you knew everything? Uh, and and we, I knew everything, so if someone said something that we didn't agree with, we would say, get a life. And, you know, I grew up here. I grew up in Rapid City. I literally grew up here playing basketball on this gym floor for Stevens and uh, Pat was a year older than me and he was a wrestler and he's still a year older than me <laughs> and uh, but you know if Pat would have come to me and said you know you should quit basketball and wrestle I would have said get a life right and and some of you can relate because see I, I enjoyed playing basketball I like kind of practicing free throws and I didn't mind running the 12 laps before practice and and running ladders afterwards, but we got to play games as we practiced. And, and those guys, you know, wrestling was a, a lot tougher from my perspective, and so they were running laps in rubber suits trying to cut weight. And so when they would say, you know, you ought to be a wrestler, I'm like, oh, come on, get a life. You know, I've never been great at cutting weight. Uh, it's never been my thing until last summer, and then I found out a really cool way to cut weight. And, uh, you know, it's, I wouldn't recommend it, but it works. It's really effective. And, uh, and, and so, you know, we would say that. And, and I was about, to me, it was like, get a life. It was just about trying to be popular and trying to do sports and trying to have a lot of friends and partying and then going to college and trying to get my degree because I was going to get rich because I thought if I could just get rich, then I could have a life. And I would have security and I would have something significant and I would be accepted and I would be loved. Ultimately, end up meeting my wife um, and... We get married, she was pregnant, and we had uh, a couple kids, and neither one of us uh, knew Jesus Christ as our Savior. We'd been churched. We went to church our whole lives. We knew there was a God. We knew Jesus Christ was his son. We knew he was the Savior. I just didn't know I needed a Savior, because I thought I had it all together. And so if someone would have told me, you need to surrender your life to Christ, I would have said, get a life. I got it together. And of course, as God tends to do, he puts us in a situation where we can't make it happen on our own and we had a couple kids and I was trying to get rich instead we're broke they're telling us to declare bankruptcy everything's falling apart in my world and it was at that time when someone explained the gospel to me that I would just surrender my life to Christ that that it changed and I trusted Christ as my savior you see I was trying to make a million decisions to try and find this security try and find this life but really, the answer to all these things are really found in one decision. What have you done with Jesus Christ? And it's not only at death. You got a tough marriage. What have you done with Jesus Christ? You're wondering about your kids. What have you done with Jesus Christ? You're worried about the state of our world today. What have you done with Jesus Christ? You see, there's no fear with God. He is almighty. He is not a bit concerned about these things things going on in our world like somehow they're spinning out of control he is absolutely on the throne and there'll come a day when he puts a stop to it but when he puts a stop to it it puts a stop to everything and there's no more choice there's no more ability to turn to him 
So the answer I challenge you to ask yourself is, what have you done with Jesus Christ? You see, my first Easter was 30 years ago. And I know you didn't think I looked that old, but uh, 30 years ago, because when I was 25 was when I first trusted Christ as my Savior, and for the first time I had life. And that's what's beautiful about the gospel. It doesn't end with a corpse, but a conqueror. It doesn't end in a tomb, but in triumph. It doesn't end with a memory, but you know what? He's here. He is risen. He's alive. What have you done with Jesus Christ? I want to tell you he loved you so much that he sent his son, God sent his son, to die for you, to pay the price for your sins. And when Christ was walking on the earth, he said, I am the way to the Father. He didn't give us all these choices. And that's not my idea. That's what Jesus said. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. The authority is the word of God. That's what the Son of God said, Jesus Christ. He is the way. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? You see, Paul tells us it's simply by grace, through faith. It's not of ourselves that we come to be right with God. It's just a gift. It's nothing we can do to earn his favor. None of us can boast. We can just surrender. You know, it reminds me of that picture of the bee flying around the room. And just imagine after hours if the bee kind of smokes against the window and falls down on the windowsill, exhausted, seemingly dead. And then the next thing you look out, and what do you see? The bee kind of smells that air and crawls through the seal and is free. Totally free. And it's like the window seal is closed and life has changed. Now that bee can live its life beating back up against the window trying to get in, or it can just fly and experience life. That's what happens as we trust Christ as our Savior. Jesus is like that seal that provides the way between us and God. He is the gate. He is the path. He has paid the price. And we can have this eternal life. Just because we have his life doesn't mean we won't have trials. We always have trials on this earth. Prosperity trials, adversity trials. Every one of you is going through trials, many worse than me. But the amazing thing is that we have this incredible life through Christ. And you see, when I die physically, whenever that is, because God can totally heal me, and I know he can, but when I die physically, when it's time for me to go home, I just get a new body. As Pat said, we have these bodies and we have these souls. These earth suits are wearing out on us. And every single one of us is ultimately aging and dying in these bodies. But I just get a new body fit for eternity. I have the Spirit of God in me. That's what's incredible. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. He lives. And so for me to live as Christ, to die is gain. That's what the Word of God teaches us. That's the truth from the scripture, and it's so freeing. And God knows exactly when it's time for me to go home, and he knows it's when it's time for you to go home. The psalmist said, as we land this thing, you were created. God created my innermost being. God, you knit me together in my mother's womb. And I praise you, Father, because I am fearfully 
and wonderfully made, and your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. And your eyes saw my unformed body. And now catch this. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Did you catch that? All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. You see, God knows the exact number of days that I'm going to live on this earth, and he knows the number of days you're going to live on this earth, and I can't change it, and neither can you. But I also know that when I leave, I will continue to live because of Jesus Christ. Do you know that? Are you certain of that? You see, God knows you. He knows all about you. He knows the good things you do. He knows the things you've messed up. And he just loves you. And he just desires you to have life. And he loved you so much that he had his son killed for you. And he rose. And he lives. And he desires to live with you to give you this peace that every one of us is searching for. So will you surrender to him? See, the disciples of Jesus, the apostles even, Peter, John, James, Matthew, Andrew, the rest of them, you know, they had given up a great deal to follow Christ. And we can look back on them and think they're pretty amazing. They gave up their loved ones. They gave up their homes. They gave up their occupations. And many of you have given up many things to be a Christian. Gave up even your morning to come here. Maybe you give up some money to give to different causes. You try and do good things for people. You try and live a good life. You give up a lot of things. But you see, even though they had given up a lot of things, they had not given up themselves. And they still wanted their own rights, and they were still jealous of others' positions until all of a sudden at Pentecost when they surrendered themselves and the Holy Spirit came on them and life began. And I'm telling you, he's here today. He's alive. And he wants each one of you to experience an Easter moment. He wants each one of you to experience that Pentecost moment when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you have life. And Jesus Christ exchanged his life for your life. And he'll give you incredible peace. He loves you so much. He gave his son for you. Will you give yourself to him? If God's drawn you, he's given you this desire in your heart to know him, will you just set yourself free from trying to get all the things of this world, security, significance, acceptance, love, because I promise you, if you trust Christ as your Savior, you'll have all those things that you're searching for. Just surrender to him. And I'm going to give you just a minute right now. And it just, it's a simple, simple prayer for you just to say, God, I've sinned. I've fallen short of your glory. I want to trust Jesus Christ as my Savior. I surrender my way. Please come into my life, Christ. And give me life.
You see, in those simple moments between you and God, everything can change. It did for me 30 years ago. And you can have incredible peace no matter what your circumstances are. As we close, uh, there's really three things you can do, three simple responses. <laughs> One, you can say to me, get a life, okay? <laughs> and just keep on living your life. You know, keep pursuing the things you're pursuing. And, and really, I don't have any idea how much time you have left on this earth. I have no idea how much time I have left on this earth, but God knows. And, and if that's your decision, um, just know that God loves you. And he'll be waiting for you when you collapse on the window seal. When you run out of energy, trying your own way. And just turn to him, and he'll be there. That's one choice. Another choice is, you know, you can say, I want to surrender right now. And maybe you did in those moments. And if you really want someone to pray for you, we'll be up front, uh, Pat and I and our wives and some friends, that you're welcome to come up in the front after the service, and we'll pray for you about anything. If you just want someone to pray for you, just know that we'll be here and you can come up and get prayer for. And if you want to celebrate this Easter, we're going to celebrate as Christians have celebrated for over 2,000 years. It's amazing to think of the history that we have. It's amazing to think of what so many believers have been through. And we're going to celebrate with communion. And so I invite you to take communion, and I'll explain that to you in a minute. I'm just going to ask if Tom and these guys would just play for us for a few minutes and just let you think about what have you done with Jesus Christ just between you and him, you and God. Close your eyes for a minute and just consider what have you done with Jesus Christ?